I didn't like that he slept naked. I thought it was a kind of a gross thing to do. Even though we do get to see his arse, which I'm... Thank you, Joseph. Hello there. Welcome to The Recommendation Game, a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen, we watch them separately, and then Skype to discuss them. My name is Orda McNeilis. And I'm Ricardo Deacon. You are listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It was indeed. It is Mr. Klein from 1976. Neglected for decades, this chilling existentialist mystery has re-emerged as one of director Joseph Losey's most virtuosic works. In perhaps the finest performance of his career, Alain Delon stars as the wealthy Robert Klein, an amoral art dealer in Nazi-occupied Paris, who exploits the persecution of his Jewish countrymen by buying and selling their paintings. When Klein is mistaken for a Jewish man of the same name, he's plunged into a labyrinthine identity crisis with life-or-death consequences. Through his moody, mesmerizing visual style, Losi weaves a Kafkaesque web of steadily mounting paranoia. Delightful. This week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It was indeed. Why on earth would you think I would want to watch a French film from the 70s? Well, like, partly because it is a French film from the 70s, starring Alain Delon, which is as safe bets come, it's pretty much (laughs) a safe bet. It's also extremely French film, considering that it is directed by an American director. Yeah. who also made some of the most British movies ever because he uh, he got blacklisted in the 50s, ended up making a load of films with Harold Pinter. Like he, we mm. saw one in college that, I don't know if you remember, a really good movie with Dirk Bogart uh, called Accident. Oh, fuck, yeah. So, uh, like... Yeah, it was, where they're, like, having a party and then there's, like, car accident yeah the like, Dirk Bogart is like an English uh, teacher in Cambridge and yeah, he's lusting after the girlfriend of one of his stars p- star pupils but it's uh, all that kind of British uh, repressed we came together that summer in Oxford Anna Charlie William Rosalind the kids and me there was an accident. It's very Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or something. That's how I remember it. Yeah, very much so because it is a, a, a film that was adapted from a play, but also yes. Lossie makes it much like uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. It is very cinematic. I thought that also that like this is... It's strangely forgotten film. Like, uh, even for myself, like, I watched it because it was a movie. And Mm. just because of the way the movie works, that you get a new movie per day and one comes out, like, it just forces you sometimes to 
watch something that you were kind of like, oh, that seems interesting. It's leaving today, so I have to watch it today. And I put it on and I was fucking blown away by it. Like, I just didn't didn't even know that this movie existed before I checked it. And then, like, afterwards, it's like, oh, I asked everybody that I know that are cinephiles, <laughs> have you seen this movie? And nobody has. And most haven't heard of it. So it was kind of, that's, it went, I put a pin on it, like, perfect podcast movie, because I knew that you probably wouldn't have seen it. I think it's a very deeply uncomfortable movie. And... Mm. And also considering where it was in French cinema um, at the time, like, you know, we were talking about Alain Delon or whatever. You have like Millville mm. doing un flick or something that is still like this idea of the, the cool Frenchman. And this movie mm. just disassemble. Like, I think that probably the French also buried this movie because it doesn't portray the French in a very good light. Uh, as it fucking shouldn't <laughs> but it it's like it's also interesting because lossy being blacklisted this movie is in certain way a commentary on 1950s america but also in culture altogether because i think lossy was blacklisted if i remember correctly because his wife worked in a very left-leaning paper but it was a really weird paper because it was both mm. like there'd be like communists working for the paper but also staunch and anti-communists anti <laughs> so yeah mr klein in a way is probably the best adaptation of a frank kafka novel without being a frank kafka novel <laughs> because it captures completely the whole absurdity of everything you know like even the um uh, the way the the police goes to investigate him because he goes to the police to <laughs> tell them that there's a error so suddenly like he becomes a person of interest because they go like oh yeah people do that sometimes that's just the way it is we just the orders came from the precinct but it was just at the precinct there's all this confusion and also i think it's just genius the way that the uh, alan delon and this this other mr klein supposed to look exactly the same and the fact that you I also think it's genius that you never get the gratification of an encounter. A lesser movie would have the twist or whatever. I think that is brilliant that this movie makes you as obsessed with what the fuck is happening as Alain Delon's character uh, goes through it. You can sympathize even though he's an asshole because you're just wrapped <laughs> up on what is going on. And I think that the movie also does a very good job of just hinting at things very, very, in very small ways. Like when he goes and visits the country manor pretending to be uh, the other Robert Klein. But obviously when he gets there, they realize that he's not Robert Klein. Well, that he is Robert Klein, but not the Robert Klein that they <laughs> expect. Is that you see uh, loads of empty spaces for where paintings were hanging before so it gives you the it's hint that there there's something wrong here and then whenever the uh, his uh, lawyer friend sends uh, one of his assistants to the house to figure out who robert klein is he says that the the people have fled so they were probably jewish but you have this mm -hmm. moment that client like alan delon's character is trying to figure out if this family is Jewish or not without wanting to ask the question because he knows that 
he's as bad as anybody else in the movie. But it just uh, he has a detachment of the effect. Like it's the 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 beauty of this movie is how it starts because it settles completely. Like the idea of the detachment between what is happening to the Jewish people and what what the the people doing that to them are going through. They're just going through a system. It's like a checklist of things to do. And the movie mm-hmm. makes you think of those things about without even showing you. You think about the bus drivers that are driving <clears> to <throat> the stadium where they're going to be dro- uh, the Jewish people that are about to be deported are being dropped off. How many little uh, places in the chain, how many people were in the chain that led to the murder of these people? Even Alain Delon paying for the paintings but not paying the actual market value of the painting might not allow that family to leave leave, on time i i do like how cynical the movie is about like humanity altogether but it also does a good job of have you ever followed the um, there's a youtube channel called uh, lady knight the brave uh (gasps) I love her. Oh my god! Oh, she, she she's done a few episodes on um one on Russian Doll and one on um what do you call it the Taika Waititi film. Yeah, that is uh, is Jojo Rabbit and the yeah. Book Thief. That she does a combination of the two. She talks about how. Uh, when it comes to Holocaust, a lot of gentle filmmakers make it about the the hero is the non-jewish person Mm. and even uh spielberg who's a jewish filmmaker does that but in a way because he's a jewish filmmaker he also imbues the jewish characters with life rather than just focusing them on them as some something to be saved Mm. they they have a purpose they have an inner life and in a way i think that spielberg is in a certain way, was trying to use the film as propaganda, but not in the sense of like, not in the the bad sense of the word propaganda. It's like in the end, like allowing people that usually wouldn't watch that kind of movie to come watch it. That if it is like, oh, all non-Jews are evil. Like the people that really need to watch that movie wouldn't watch it. You know, like we've had this discussion before on the podcast that mm. sometimes you need to argue for the person that is not on your side when they're sit down to watch the movie for the first time and kind of make the argument uh, and i think that this movie does a similar is a the other side of the same coin how there's no actual difference between alan delon's character in a way and the other robert klein even how they end up, they have the same faith in the end. But the way that they lead their lives are complete opposites. The mm. one is like not only risking his life, you live in a hovel just for out of principle, let's say. That somebody with the rich friends that he has and the 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 benefactors that he has and the connections that he has could have left France long ago, but he remains as part of the resistance. While mm. this other Robert Klein won't leave because he just wants to send the other guy away. 
he just wants <laughs> fucking to be left alone <clears throat> with his painting. That's it. He doesn't care about anybody. Women, men, dogs. For a bit, it looks like he cares about the dog, but it's a lie. Mm. But I think that it is a very interesting movie. And the more, you, like, this was the second time that I watched it. And I think that it does such a good job of planting things, having, like, payoffs that you don't expect, you know. And I think that the movie is very memorable, both thematically and overall, let's say, as a as a piece of, like... Uh, as a piece of film but also as a discussion piece but i also think that scene by scene it's very memorable it's very cinematic like yeah there's very clever details like the weird car wallpaper in the bathroom where in the hub of the like the robert klein would live like the the relationship between the the landlady and that client the the jewish robert klein let's say <laughs> that is unspoken as well the idea that you don't <clears throat> see like the way that like just by coincidence he sits across from isabella the the girlfriend of the robert klein that he's trying to make it go away make the person go away and i think that the ending is incredibly powerful like that mo that whole scene in the stadium from the moment whenever like the the buses park up in the in the streets and driving around and him throwing the little note to the kid and it's a horrible horrible thing that that kid is probably thinking that he's saving the life of like somebody the you know like a Jewish person or something and that he's like ends up <laughs> trying to save the life of somebody that uh, is an asshole not that he deserves to die per se because that's I think is also the interesting thing about the movie is that he's just an not an evil person. He's just an asshole. Hmm. But whenever like the the lines like the the moral and ethical lines are so defined, just being an asshole makes you it makes it so easy for you to cross over to the over the line to actually being responsible for people <laughs> to die, and it's very very troubling that you can like not knowingly be doing the same yourself and i think that it, all the relationships are very interesting within the film it could have been like a very simplistic movie where like you know like his relationship with the attorney because he's sleeping with your man's wife but also like their relationship is really interesting like there's always like so many power dynamics Conflicts. in every scene that it, it makes <laughs> every scene questionable you don't know who has the power in each scene and i think that that makes the movie interesting uh but without further ado uh what did you think of mr klein <laughs> it's funny i was uh i was reading reviews and stuff a lot of the uh the reviews are from like more recently because it got re-restored or re-restored it got restored in i think 2019 which is probably when it ended up on movie um but there's a review in the new yorker um with, that ends with the line one of the final images in Losi's icy labyrinth of a film is of children being forcibly torn from their parents by officers of the law how blessed are we to live in a decent and democratic age when such things could not possibly occur <laughs> and I was like 
Huh. Um, 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 <laughs> I was like, is that a joke? Uh, <laughs> someday someone will be able to explain to me uh, why Americans are so ignorant. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, this is, I was, I, I went on a bit of a uh, doppelganger uh, rabbit hole uh, while doing some research and I realized that this is in fact our second doppelganger film because uh, we did Possession, um, oh, yeah. which is a film that I think I put into a memory black hole along with most of 2020, I think. Um, <laughs> I remember nothing about that film. It wasn't until I started uh, like looking up lists of doppelganger movies and it was like, oh yeah, Possession. Nope. Um, yeah, and I'm watching Twin Peaks season three, which is like very much about doppelgangers and stuff. So like, that's interesting. It's everywhere. Um, it's also kind of funny, uh, maybe not because you're part of this podcast, but uh, it's funny how many movies we've done about fascism. Uh, <laughs> creeping fascism, fascism already in power, you know, of various. Uh, also, of course, only becomes more poignant every year we live. Uh, <laughs> obviously, fascism in various countries, uh, most recent being Ali, uh, Fear Eats the Soul. But yeah, this this might be one of my favorites. Um for like a number of reasons. Uh it's a it's a funny film though. It feels almost like a Cold War thriller. Um and it's like fascinating as uh, a 19 a film set in 1940s but made very much in the height of the like paranoid thriller era and it's it's a, it's a really good period piece. Like it doesn't feel it feels like the 40s, like it's really well done, but it's also, it's tinged with that Cold War icy darkness. Like it's pitch black. Like it reminded me a lot of The Conformist, like yeah. ab- absolutely. Um, and as well, actually, uh, Lacombe, Lucienne. Um, shout out to James. Uh, it is also like, <laughs> as the thing starts to... Uh, unravel and as it becomes clearer and clearer that you know like there's just another version of him and like the whole doppelganger thing and everything and it, just, it did make me think that if they remade this now it would be like a Liam Neeson movie or something yeah. and <laughs> you know like it's just the, the mistaken identity and no one believes him and you know but uh <laughs> oh man I, I want to watch that movie now uh well yeah land alone uh well <laughs> as soon as he appears what's so funny is that in my mind, he's either 1960s version of himself or else he's old. Very, I've seen very few films of him sort of later on than that where he's starting to age. And it's funny, as soon as he appeared on screen in this, I was like, whoa, shit lid. Um, <laughs> his hair is terrible in the first scene. I was like, whoa. Um, it might be one of my favorite performances of him, though, because... He's he's a lot older. His face is less boyish. He's less. He's less like in the way of someone like Killian Murphy is. Uh, although Killian Murphy didn't really ever age, anyways, he maintained that creepy alien face, um, of of that kind of like perfect perfect features that are almost intimidating in their beauty. He he did age in a sort of an interesting way, um, and it's quite it's interesting to see him dissolve in this film into like paranoia and obsession and losing his like the invincibility that he he, isn't something like Le Circle Rouge which obviously didn't end very well for him but 
he's such a he's such just a cool bastard you know and that doesn't mean that it's like it's an empty character but like it's all very cool it's all very you know he's, he's just gonna be he's like he's like james bond he's just gonna be you know he'll be reincarnated in another version of a similar character in another movie whereas in this it's you really you really feel that like he's <laughs> by the time he's like back in the apartment by himself with the dog and the painting you're like yeah he's he's lost forever now there's only one way this is going um i really like how this looks uh it has a very very beautiful uh peak peak 70s uh <laughs> european aesthetic it's mm, it's so gray it's fabulous well, some of the uh, things are very uh, painterly even whenever he yeah. gets to the country manner that like the car drives him up uh, like even the halogen and the in 70s film that makes like these kind of orbs orbs over the the light uh makes it almost feel like a painting because it's just warm but it's snowing as well it's very beautiful the I think. shot when he's looking out the window at her in in like the early morning when she's like talking to somebody on somebody on a bike uh <laughs> that that it's it's such a dark it's a beautiful beautiful shot um i do have to say i think this it's too long this film um it started to lag a little bit in the middle like everything in the manor house it sort of felt like a bit of an unnecessary subplot at times especially it doesn't really kind of I, I don't know. It's like, I felt like if you were going to go there, I wanted to spend a lot more time there because it sort of turns into the leopard at one point when they're on the ice. And it's like, it's him walking in and I was like, ah. Um, uh, I laughed so hard as well. Um, but yeah, and I, I don't know that I, I, I find my attention sort of waning a little bit and I was like, oh no, oh dear. Uh, although I did love whenever year one comes into the room and he's like, I sleep in the nude. I was like, who does that in some random stranger's eyes? How weird is that? Anyways, um, it, it feels a little baggy in places. It's like it's it's just because some scenes of it are are so perfect and tightly wound. Like the the scene whenever the cops come to him, whenever he's like just sort of having a party out of nowhere. Uh, I love that. There's something so glamorous about that. To arriving home to oh yes, I'm, I'm we're having a party. A party. I know. It's like, Oh my god, I love his apartment so much. I love the bathroom. I love just oh my god, it's like Art Deco. Oh my god, um, but that scene whenever he comes home when the cops are there and like his movement through, he goes out onto the balcony and like oh my god, them going to make the phone call, him going over. There's like there's like five different setups that's all done in very few like camera changes. It's so oh my god, it's so well done. And that, that whole scene, like, it's not even that long. It's, oh, it's so tight. And then we have, like, all the interactions with a lawyer are, like, just, <laughs> like, can't trust this guy. <laughs> he's so, he's so seedy. And so, like, unbothered by what's going on at certain times. Where he's just like, ah, yes, I will go investigate. And you're like, I don't trust you at all. <laughs> and he's so skeptical of him. And, like, when they have that, um... Uh, when they have the, <laughs> the <laughs> some parts of this are so long and I love it. Like the, when they're uh, in the bar, uh, was it after, after the play? 
when they're in there and everyone's eating and the guy's coming to bring the phone call to him. And it's this incredibly long, extended shot of this guy walking through saying, Mr. Klein, Mr. Klein, Mr. Klein. Mr. Oh, Klein. the little bell guy, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, and he has like a chalkboard with the person's name on it. This absolute labyrinth of a restaurant, just like trying to find the person who the phone call is for. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> and then we get that wonderful shot where he like sees his reflection and he's like, and you're like, is that a reflection? Is it not? I had to pause. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's very like oh um what's mad about this film is that like pretty much as soon as he finds the newspaper on his front step i was like oh i know where this is going <laughs> and like so it's not like surprising when it when he gets there it's like the path of it that's what's interesting but it, the fact that ultimately he like chooses it yeah that he has this method of escape but it's almost like hubris or something that he he doesn't he doesn't really almost believe that he's in danger because he doesn't believe that he's one of these people yeah for the entire movie it feels like that he instead of fighting for his life he's fighting for like a bureaucratic you know it's like getting somebody else's phone bill for him almost like it feels yeah he's he's never afraid he's even whenever like he he doesn't like when they they take his paintings or but there's no one really in his life that he's missing none of the women in his life none of you know he's he's very he finds it very easy to leave but then the person that brings him back is mr klein because like there's something very narcissistic about that because mr klein is his doppelganger so it's like you know in the end, it's almost like he himself brings him into. It's it's very it's it's very uncomfortable because he's surrounded. Well, first of all, the scene is like so chaotic, and I think I read that like thirteen thousand Jews or something were were sent out of France, um, which is just bananas. And how how casually they they're just sort of put on these buses and there's like a shot where they just when he throws the thing to the kid where they're just passing like like a grocery shop and people are just like going about their day and this just like and the bus says like out of service or special service or something special service and i I think it's also really dark the moment whenever he reads the newspaper and goes oh there's there's 14 articles about Jewish people in the newspaper. They're preparing the public for something big. Hmm. Because they're just like planting stories about evil things happening and Jewish people being shit. So whenever they start disappearing, it's like, oh, yeah, like, I don't like it. But it has to be done. Kind of. For the good of France. Yes. Uh, and it's also like I think that ugh. the movie does a good job just to mention that um, there's no evil German in the movie. You know, a lot Ooh. of movies about like like this or uh, set there's in no Poland Nazi symbolism like either. That. Yeah, there's like one German soldier walking down the street and when he goes to visit Strasbourg, and that's it. There's very there's not German soldiers walking the street. There's no checkpoints. There's, it's almost like they're not really being forced 
and mm. they're not really fighting against it. That the, it is something that, yeah, the French wouldn't do it without the German invasion, but it wasn't something particularly difficult to change your head around. Like, you know, also considering like the the whole Dreyfus affair and stuff like France was incredibly uh, anti-Semitic before World War Two. And obviously, like, that laid the foundation for what happened during World War Two, which is fucked. God, that... It's the fact that he's surrounded by... Um, there's at least one Jewish character that we've already seen. So the guy that he buys the painting off is, is standing behind him at one point. And, like, everyone around him is, like seems to have a much better understanding of what's happening than he does and it's whenever the woman asks him where she's like what do you think is going to happen he doesn't seem annoyed because he doesn't he's like afraid it's more that he's like trying he's so singularly focused on what's going on for for him him alone his little (laughs) obsessive compulsive thing and it's so like it's like disconnected but also it's yeah it's it's like this weird thing of like privilege of and it's the the thing of the even the lawyer that is he just wants to save Alain and it shows how easy it would have been for him to save other people as well because he has the connections he has the he knows how to do things yeah like and it's so easy like Alain just goes I need he doesn't even ask like the the guy just goes oh yeah it's getting a bit fishy here it is just go your your boat leaves marseille in two days or whatever <laughs> it's grand i do agree with you that it is alan delon's uh, f- best performance i think uh, i can't remember who referred to him as gray like gray died there's almost mm. what i mean is that we've all met somebody that if the right circumstances was there, you know that they would have had no problem being part of the system because they would say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not killing them. They have to go like they're going like somebody's forcing them out and they have to sell their paintings. And if I don't buy them, somebody else will. So I might mm-hmm. as well be myself. Like I'm not I didn't create the situation. And I think uh, like so many people, and and that's a very small kind of um, complicity. But I think that I know a lot of people that would be even would be even more complicit than that if required, and not in the mm. not in an evil way because they wouldn't they, they they wouldn't go oh I don't like Jewish people or whatever if it was the, this case it'd be more business is business and I'm not doing this it's just. If it's not me, it's going to be somebody else. I have to survive. I have to make a living. I have to live my life. Yeah, like, and <laughs> I think it's what makes this movie incredibly dark. And in a way as well, like I think that it, it does a great job. Great job considering how little time it's spent with uh, Jewish people in the movie. That they're the only human characters in the movie. Yeah. And like Robert Klein, the Jewish guy who you don't see on screen in your head is a more human person than Alan Delon, who's there the whole time. It's 
Incredible. And I think that like uh, whenever, like even the logistics that the movie, the the bit that hit me as well, it's like how similar. And obviously like it's something that will never have happened before in my eyes. How similar that stadium is both where like it's lettering everywhere to be able to like funnel all these amount of people and organize them to go to the right place. How similar it was mm. to City West Convention Center when the vaccination thing was going on. <laughs> and I'm not comparing obviously one or the other, but it shows how <laughs> like bureaucracy, like it's like moving people is something the humans are great at. So even whenever the, the police are going to the stadium originally, they're just focusing on the logistics of it there nobody in this movie looks at the bigger picture not a single person except for robert klein the the faceless man Mm. and i think it's even like him trying to fake his own death to survive but that doesn't work either it's kind of like an inevitability of like if you're robert klein you're gonna die and I think this inescapability is also quite terrifying as like that you don't have like society and the world around you is so much bigger that you as a person cannot affect change to it on either end of the scale, neither for good nor for bad. You just have to hope that the whole, whole society as one is actually moving towards the the better side rather than the worst side and i think that that's really terrifying that the only hope you have is that you survive long enough until there's a shift because you can't actually (laughs) that's very defeatist i think some people would say that's a little too defeatist in the fact that what you but you just sit around and do nothing well like it's not (laughs) but at the same time like the movie makes the argument that it's better to die for something than die for nothing like, if you're going to mm, die true. either way, if you leave a, a legacy that, like, the thing where, like, the, the movie makes almost clear is that Alan Delon goes away. No one misses him. And nothing <laughs> changes. Yeah. Nobody's life is hugely affected. Nobody, like, everybody that would have left, even the dog has somebody to mind him. <laughs> what is your uh, favorite thing about this movie? I think the direction, I think. Um, even though I think that it's a little laggy at times, uh, he sticks the landing so well and he never like shies away from anything in the film, um, which could make it quite uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's when, when it's really working, it really, really works. And it's very like... It has elements of a thriller and you become like I became so obsessed with them meeting and whenever he's going over to the house, I was like, this is it. And then like he gets arrested and you're like, no, I wanted them to meet. And it's so like you become as like desperate to, you know, he he hooks you. And I know that like obviously I was poised to probably like this movie. Yeah, it's a detective um, French movie from the seventies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it did still surprise me though and it I think because I I didn't know that it was set in the 40s I didn't know anything about it and even though like 
pretty much like the god fucking hell the first scene is very very intense um especially because like it didn't take very long for me to realize what was going on and once you kind of, you're kind of like oh no oh no and then you're like is this where where is this doctor's office like is she you know what the and then it becomes more clear what's happening but it's like oh no and it's also like here. genius that even the doctor doesn't say either way because he's trying to take the yeah. scientific approach he says that there's some yeah. jewish traits but it, it'd be open for investigation or whatever as if there was a science to it there's like a checkbox or whatever and i think that it, it makes High it hairline there's like <laughs> earlobes <laughs> what are you talking about yeah but uh, even like uh, the way that he describes how her behavior is not very oh how she reacts yeah to the uh uh yeah but so it's it's very aggressive at times uh, without being heavy-handed, as in, like, he doesn't shy away. Like, opening opening a film with that scene is very, very ballsy. Like, it's very... It, there's no... There, he's not fucking around there. You are immediately in this world, and it's very, very unsettling. But then at the same time, has this character that, like, is never... There's no redemption for him. Doesn't He doesn't ever really indicate that there's going to be any redemption for him. But, like... Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the direction. It made me want to watch more of his movies because um, he's just a filmmaker I didn't really know anything about. Uh, what was your favorite thing? Well, like, I I think I agree with you that it is the direction, but um, altogether I think that is um, when it comes to the direction to be more specific. I think it's the tone that the movie gets right. Yeah, and it it, it walks a very narrow little tight rope between being an entertaining detective movie it is actually quite humorous as a movie as well which is yeah like how do you get away with being like doing a detective noir comedy kafka-esque that it's really about the holocaust it reminds me of the martin amos novel the zone of interest that uh is a office workplace comedy but set in auschwitz and like the characters like be like the office but in auschwitz <laughs> um the there is a review that i remember i think it's from the new york times i may be wrong that the reviewer says that like for the first 50 to 100 pages he thought that it was the most disgusting piece of fiction he had ever read and then by the end, the the last twenty pages of the novel is a dedication, like it's not part of the novel, it's a dedication to Jewish people, from Martin Amos, and he mm-hmm. says that that's completely earned, that it's not there as like, an apology oh, for forgive me for what I've done, it's kind of sometimes with something as big and grotesque and it's impossible to really understand the holocaust because when you do it you make it personal every life is a tragedy but then whenever you try to expand expand that that, it becomes becomes statistics Mm -hmm. is that what they said that it's like 10 people get killed is a tragedy one million people get killed is a statistic and i think that that makes this movie rather special in 
its approach to really fuck with your brain in a way that like very few films do that you're but again it's because it is a detective story like for most of it you're like really engaged and entertained by it and stuff and really hits you like whenever that door closes you realize it's one of those moments in film history is the opposite of uh usual suspects that the movie gains double the meaning whenever you see the ending that you're already kind of entertained while you're going through the mystery and then the movie ends mm. and then everything like lines up it's almost like a reverse falling of dominoes that suddenly everything is standing and you can see it's a very christopher nolan-esque image there oh, oh jesus <laughs> reverse, reverse fucking dominoes no i do not want tenet to taint this podcast um but yeah, that's uh, my my favorite thing about the movie. What's your least favorite thing? Uh, it's probably a combination of the middle the middle section that it felt a little. I need to watch it again to decide what I would actually change. I think because it was very overwhelming as a first watch. Um, it's a combination of that because I did get a little bit bored in the middle. Uh, and also because your one in the manor house was so fucking annoying. And I was just like, shut up. Uh, <laughs> and also, yeah, I didn't like anything about that scene um, where she's in the bedroom with him. And I was like, well, you did say no. that you liked that he slept naked. So at least you liked one thing in the scene. I didn't like that he slept naked. I thought it was a kind of a gross thing to do, even though we do get to see his arse, which I'm. Thank you, Joseph. Um. But, well, like I suppose <laughs> that he went there uh, not with any pajamas or whatever. And Robert Klein has fancy pajamas. That is, he, he does have fancy pajamas. Uh, yeah, it's a combination of that and uh, how how <laughs> how horrible this movie makes me feel because it just becomes more and more. I don't really feel like period pieces anymore, you know? It just feels like a never-ending circle. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the combination of those two things. <laughs> what was your least favorite thing? Well, like, I think it is the, the bit of, like, as you said, how it makes me feel in a certain way. Uh, but um, especially, like, uh, as you were saying there, the um, as an adult, let's say, the, I have a very deep, interest in my life about world war ii for some reason just because of trying to understand it even as i was like like very small kid i remember my dad telling me about world war one and world war ii and just i didn't know what a war was i thought that war meant mm. battle because you couldn't think about like one thing after the other so like and also you when they say a world war, I just thought that like the entire world just met in a field, had a like, had it out, like you know, like if I can. It was in thousands of fields. In a way, in a way, I wish that like a world war was that, like just like fucking each country just designate a hundred lads to go to a field with Kevin Costner on a horse and have a fist fight. That's it. But from there, like it's kind of like. Um, gradual like but then it became like oh it's good versus evil is the 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 noble war that even if you're a pacifist is the war that had to be fought or whatever and even if you have that argument that um, to a certain degree like for one it's also that like 
the world doesn't exist that like history doesn't exist in a fucking vacuum so it's like if mm. the world really wanted this not to happen they could have stepped it before war was necessary is this kind of like you know whenever you're, you're like on a in a pub or whatever and there's somebody getting a little bit belligerent and you just let everything escalate until a fight happens and then you jump in it's like you could have stepped in about like 10 minutes ago and like just quiet down everything everything but you just couldn't be bothered until it became too much you know the world is a pub just waiting for fights to break out <laughs> everything so next week's movie is chosen by you, Orla. What's next week's movie? Next week's movie is The Wailing. We're not. It's not going to quite come out on Halloween, but uh, but sure. Close enough. Uh, yeah. So uh, until then, where can they find us? They can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, at The Rack Game on Twitter, The Recommendation Game at gmail.com is our email, and you can also follow our back episodes on SoundCloud, your podcaster of choice. Uh, I was Orla McInnes. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.